You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. On Wednesday, February 28th, we are beginning a new study. Uh, You just saw the video on that called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Uh, There's more information uh, in your worship folder as well as a big display outside the sanctuary area. We have put copies of all the different books that we're going to be using for the eight-week study just so you can kind of look at those, get a better idea of what we're going to be doing. But I think the one statement that really sums up the study is this. It is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. That is true. It is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And one of the aspects of the course is really designed uh, to help us not only identify, but begin to address the emotional issues that we need to work on in tandem with what they call contemplative spirituality. And I'll say a little bit more about that next week. And, and when you bring the two of these together, the emotional healthiness, the com- contemplative spirituality, when you bring the two of them together in tandem, it really begins to open the door to greater progress uh, in, your, in your spiritual maturity in Christ. So I just want to just share with you really quickly how they define emotional health. First one is naming, recognizing, and managing your own feelings. Identifying with and having active compassion for others. Initiating and maintaining close and meaningful relationships. Breaking free from self-destructive patterns. Being aware of how our past impacts our present. Developing the capacity to express our thoughts and feelings clearly, both verbally and non-verbally. Respecting and loving others without having to change them. Asking for what we need, want, or prefer clearly, directly, and respectfully. Accurately self-assessing our strengths, our limits, weaknesses, and freely sharing them with others. Learning the capacity to resolve conflict maturely and negotiate solutions that consider the perspective of others. Distinguishing and appropriately expressing our sexuality and sensuality and finally grieving well. That is what it means to be emotionally healthy. Now, if you're deficient or you're struggling in one or more of any of these areas, it's going to have an impact on your spiritual maturity, which is going to manifest itself in your walk and your relationship, first and foremost, with God, but it's also going to affect your walk and your relationship with others as well. Maybe you're here this morning and you kind of just maybe feel stuck in your relationship with God or you feel stuck in relationships with other people. It's probably because one or more of those areas of our emotional health really needs to be looked at 
So the course is really designed to help us in striving toward a greater state of emotional health that we might be able to continue to move forward in our spiritual growth. So the course kind of begins with a complimentary meal at 6 p.m. downstairs in the uh, cafe. You don't need to bring anything for that meal. Everything will be provided. The study begins at 6.30 p.m. We're going to be done by 7.45 p.m., so hopefully you can be home uh, by 8 Uh, There will be a children, youth program offered during this time. Nursery uh, will be available. However, it would really help us in the planning uh, ahead of time, uh, just so we know how to plan numbers for meals, if you would sign up ahead of time. Also, it'll enable us to make sure we've got enough materials uh, on hand. So you can sign up. There is an insert in your bulletin, and there is a sign-up form on the back. You can fill that out. Uh, You can just place that in the back. The offering baskets are there on the back table. You can give that to any one of the staff that are here uh, this morning. And again, samples of the books, other materials are available on the welcome table. You can preview those. Uh, You can uh, let us know what you want to order, and we'll get that stuff ordered and make sure it's here by the time the study begins. It's going to be an awesome study. Um, I've been going through the book, uh, and it is uh, just an incredible study, and I really think if we as a congregation will take this seriously, I really believe it can begin to provide some tremendous breakthrough uh, in your relationship with God and with your relationship with others. Amen? Amen. It was the year 1995, just really kind of a little over 20 years ago. It was called The Global Mission with Billy Graham. It took over a year of planning to pull this whole thing off, and by the end of the event, it would be known as the single greatest evangelistic effort in the history of Christianity. Bob Williams, who was the uh, director of international ministries for Billy Graham, uh, had set this incredible goal. And through the medium of satellite technology, he wanted to reach the largest audience ever to hear a series of messages by Billy Graham. Now, really, in order to really appreciate and understand the scope of what he was trying to pull off, these are just some of the things that were involved in allowing this to happen. They were wanting to get 185 countries participating by satellite. The event was broadcast in 117 different languages. It took over 300 hours of transmission time from 10 uplink antennas to 29 time zones using 30 different satellites. One billion people viewed the broadcast television special in 117 countries all at the same time. It took 10 miles of video and audio cable 45 digital beta cam recorders, the most in any one location in the world, a a digital transatlantic satellite transmission, 75 technical personnel on a 24-hour-per-day schedule, and equipment that was estimated at the value of $15 million dollars. That was just over 20 years ago, and I don't believe it's ever been repeated since. Now stop and think about that. Can you imagine 
actually speaking to and being heard by over one billion people at the same time. Now let me just ask you a question. If you could speak to all six billion people in this world at one time and you could only say one thing and it could only be four words, what would you say? I think I would say what one day every person who has ever lived is going to say, and those four words would be, Jesus Christ is Lord. In fact, if I only had four last words I could ever say, I think I would say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And I want you to think about those three names, Jesus Christ, Lord. Because every one of those names is important. The first name is Jesus. And again, Jesus is his human name. That name literally means in the Greek, Jehovah saves. So every time you would say the name Jesus, you were saying Jehovah saves. You were reminding people Jehovah saves, Jesus Jesus came uh, to save lost mankind from their sins. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 21, again, listen to what the angel tells Joseph. He says, she, referring to Mary, she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So that name, Jesus, it is a prophetic statement. It is an indicator of what he will do. He will save sinful people. Jesus, uh, as Jesus, he's also what we would call our mediator. By that I mean Jesus stands between sinful man and a holy God. And Jesus, as a sinless man, he takes the hand of God, and as a saving God, he takes the hand of sinful man, and he brings the two together as our mediator. And 1 Timothy 2.5 states, for there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That is a little of what is behind that name, Jesus. The second name is Christ Again, that first name, Jesus, it refers to his humanity. That second name, Christ, it refers to his deity, his place, his position among the Godhead, co-equal, co-eternal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. We talked about this name, Christ, a few weeks ago, and that name, Christ, literally means anointed one. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that in near uh, Eastern cultures, whenever a person was going to be specifically recognized for something he did, again, maybe their valor on the battlefield or a victory in a great war, there would be this ceremony in which a small amount of oil would be poured over his head and it would be them anointing this man as a leader. So in Israel, to be the Lord's anointed was to be the king. And as Christ, he is the Lord of Lord, the king of kings, and there is none like him. But it's his last name, Lord, that I wanna focus on this morning. Now the word Lord in the Greek, it is the word kurios, and it can have several meanings. That name can mean sovereign, it can mean master, it can mean ruler, it can mean king. 
And the name Lord is also that Greek equivalent to the Hebrew name Yahweh or Jehovah. Yahweh and Jehovah is the divine name for God Almighty. And Jesus Christ is called Lord in many New Testament references. And what that tells us is this is the consistent truth of Scripture. Jesus Christ is Yahweh or Jehovah. So much so that in one reference in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, listen again to the words the Apostle Paul uses in reference to Jesus Christ. He says, for this reason also, it kind of ties in with that first worship song we sang this morning, for this reason God highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee of those who are in heaven and on the earth will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, curious to the glory of God the Father. God the Father bestowed upon Jesus Christ this title, this name, this designation, Lord So to sum up those three names, Jesus is his human name, Christ is his holy name, Lord is his heavenly name. As Lord Jesus Christ, he is our master. As Lord, he is sovereign, we are subordinate. He is the master, we are the slaves. He is the ruler, we are the servants. He is the king, we are the subjects. And I will tell you, as Lord Jesus does not want a place in your life. He does not want prominence in your life. He wants preeminence in your life. Let me tell you why this is so important. A great preacher once said, let a man get right on the meaning and understanding of the lordship of Jesus Christ, and he is right all down the line on every issue. It means that the flagship of the fleet is the lordship of Christ, and if that ship leads all the other ships, church. Membership, fellowship, discipleship, stewardship, worship will follow the flagship. So the question before us today is not, is Jesus Christ Lord? I want you to understand that has been settled, that has been established through his victory on the cross, through his resurrection from the grave. God has already bestowed that title upon him, whether you believe it or not, whether you understand it or not, Jesus Christ is Lord. The question before us this morning is this, is Jesus your Lord? If Jesus Christ is your Lord, I want you to understand at least four things that that implies. The first is his lordship determines our spiritual relationship. Now let me ask you this question, these questions. Why did Jesus die? Why was Jesus buried Why was Jesus raised from the dead? Why is he alive and reigning on the throne of the universe right now? Now again, the typical answer that are given to those questions is to save us from our sins. And that is true, but it's only partially true. Let me give you a more thorough response to that question from Romans chapter 14 verse 9. Listen to this. 
For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord, curios, of both the dead and the living. See, Jesus didn't just die and be resurrected so you could call him Savior. He died and was resurrected so that you and I would proclaim him as Lord. In fact, that is exactly the way we are to teach and to preach the Lord Jesus. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Now, Jesus is our Savior. That is true. He is our Redeemer. And I'm to preach both but primarily we are to preach and to teach Jesus Christ as Lord of all. If you're saved today, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, I want you to understand something. When God saved you, you made your greatest decision, you made your best decision, but in reality, you made your last decision. Because the moment you come to Jesus Christ as Lord, he is to make all the decisions concerning your life from then on. You are just there to carry them out. This is the heart behind the question Jesus asked in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. And he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Why? Why do you call him Lord, Lord, if you do not do what he says? In other words, what is the point of calling Jesus Lord if you're not going to do what he says? Using the title Lord, using the reference Lord, using the name Lord in reference to Jesus implies you're going to obey whatever he calls you to do. Think about this, when the apostle Paul met Jesus on the Damascus road, he asked him two of the greatest questions anyone would ever ask. And the first question he asked was before he got saved. The second question he asked was after he got saved. And both of those questions are found in Acts chapter 9, verses 5 through 6. And the first question Saul asked on that road of Damascus, who are you, Lord? Curios. And Jesus responded by telling him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. His second question was, Lord, what do you want me to do? As a Christian, you ask that first question once and then spend the rest of your life asking the second question over and over again, Lord, what do you want me to do? Since Jesus saves us as Lord, we are to serve him as Lord. And I want you to understand, you cannot, you will not be fully saved until you surrender your life to Christ as Lord of all. Romans 10, 9 says this, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Savior. Is that what it says? It's what a lot of people do. Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, curios, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. 
Now again, it's interesting that Paul specifically states we must confess Jesus is Lord, not Jesus is Savior in order to be saved. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you that is the only kind of salvation there is. Jesus is not Savior or Lord. He is Savior and Lord. In fact, he is the Savior because he is the Lord. If you're sitting there right now and you're saying to yourself, well, I have accepted Jesus as my Savior, but I've never accepted or received him as my Lord. I've got news for you this morning. He's not your Savior either. You cannot treat Jesus like he's a buffet and go through the line of what he offers and say, oh yeah, I'll take a little bit of saviorhood, but I'm going to pass on the lordship. You receive Jesus as both Lord and Savior, or you will have him as neither one. I fear there are a lot of people, maybe even some in this church this morning, who have made Jesus their Savior, but have never surrendered to him as their Lord. And I want you to know clearly, if Jesus isn't your Lord, then he's not your Savior either. There are a lot of people out there who will tell you they're saved. Oh, I accepted Jesus into my heart, but they don't follow, they don't obey Jesus in anything. I fear they are being greatly deceived. If Jesus isn't Lord of your life, he isn't Savior of your life because Jesus came to be our Savior so he could become and reign and rule over us as Lord. I'm afraid the church in America these last few decades has placed more of an emphasis upon the work that Jesus did as Savior rather than his position over us as Lord. And I want you to know, both are important to understand, both are important to embrace, but in order for us to fully receive and embrace his work as Savior, we must submit to his Lordship and his ownership over our lives. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. As you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Isn't that interesting? Just as you have received and accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. That's what it means to make him Lord. I'm following him. I'm obeying him. It says, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built upon him. Again, Paul is placing the emphasis on Jesus, not as Savior, but as Lord with the admonition to continue following him, obeying him, doing what he wants you to do, which is what the title Lord implies. Pastor and author John Bevere in his book, God, Good or God, gives this solemn warning. And he said, Jesus warned that after his departure, a gospel would be proclaimed and widely accepted that would offer salvation apart from lordship. The widespread and heretical message would reduce Lord to merely a title rather than a position Jesus holds in people's lives. People will call him Lord, 
but not deny themselves, not take up their crosses, and will not follow him. So if I haven't yet, let me make this as plain as I can. If Jesus is not your Lord, he is not your Savior either. It is interesting to me that Jesus is called Savior in the New Testament 24 times, but he is referred to as Lord 433 times. As a matter of fact, the title Lord occurs over 7,800 times in the Bible, a huge theme in the Bible. You can't have one or the other. Jesus is your Lord and Savior or he's not. And I know a lot of professing Christians who have invited Jesus into their hearts. They've asked Jesus to be their Savior who have nothing to do with following or obeying Jesus as Lord. And I'm here to tell you they have been and are being greatly deceived. Once you embrace Jesus as Lord, That means you understand that he will be over, you will be under. He will be above, you will be beneath. He will command, you will consent. He will demand, you will deliver. He will give the orders, you carry them out. You cannot limit his lordship because his lordship carries with it leadership and ownership over our lives. Second thing that this implies His lordship defines our personal ownership. Now the verse that really says it all is Acts chapter 10 verse 36. The word which God sent to the children of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ. And I love this. He is Lord. He is curios of all. Now you can't make it any plainer than that. If Jesus is your Lord, he is Lord of all of you and all that you have. He is Lord of all that you are. He is the Lord of all you have because you really don't have anything apart from him. S.M. Lockridge, the great black preacher, put it this way. I love this. He said he didn't have to put his signature on on the corner of the sunrise. He's the owner. He didn't have to put a laundry mark on the lapel of the meadow. He's the owner. He didn't have to carve his initials on the side of a mountain. He's the owner. He didn't have to put his brand on the cattle on a thousand hills. He's the owner. He didn't have to put a copyright on the song he gave the birds to sing. He's the owner. Jesus is Lord of all, Lord of all you are and all that you have. He is the Lord of nature, the Lord of creation. He's the Lord of time, the Lord of eternity. He is the Lord of life, the Lord of death. He's the Lord of humanity, the Lord of demons. He is the Lord of yesterday, the Lord of today, and the Lord of tomorrow. Everything bounded by time and space and everything beyond time and space is under the ruleship, the commanding lordship of Jesus Christ. And this is where I think we struggle so much as Christians because this is really where the rubber meets the road. This is why so many people are more comfortable making Jesus their Savior but not their Lord. A.W. Tozier said people who have made Jesus their Lord have three distinct marks. First, they're facing only one direction. Second, they can never turn back. And third, they no longer have plans of their own. If Jesus is Lord, he is Lord of all, and he is Lord over all. 
The third implication, and I'm not going to have time to go into the third or the fourth one, is his lordship demands our financial stewardship. You can see my outline. And the fourth one is his lordship decides our eternal fellowship. Yogi Berra, the famous catcher for the New York Yankees, was out on a road trip one night, and he got hungry for pizza. And he called a local pizza parlor, and he ordered a medium pepperoni. And when he walked up the counter to pick it up, the man said, Yogi, when you called, I forgot to ask you how you wanted me to slice your pizza. Do you want it cut into six or 12? And Yogi thought about it and said, you better make it six. I don't think I can eat 12. I want to tell you this morning, no matter how you slice it, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord of all, and he deserves all of our life. So the question again this morning, is he Lord? I want you to understand that has been settled. The question before you and I this morning is, is he your Lord? Have you surrendered everything to him? Are you obedient to him? Are you doing what he says to do? In the military, the sword historically has been considered the most personal weapon that an officer can carry. And when you surrender your sword, it became a token of complete submission. In fact, if an officer was found to disgrace the army, They would take away his sword from him and they would break the blade because the sword is the mark of being an officer and a gentleman. But giving up your sword was the ultimate act of surrender. Lord Nelson, the British admiral, after a notable victory over the French, had the French admiral come to him to personally surrender. Well, the French admiral came up to him somewhat with a smile, a smirk, his sword dangling by his side. And as he walked onto the deck of that British ship, he put his hand out toward Lord Nelson to shake it as an act of friendship. But Lord Nelson did not put out his hand toward the French admiral, but he stood erect and at attention, and he said, first, your sword, sir. The Lord Jesus is asking for your sword. He's asking you to give total surrender and submission to him. He's asking to take your clock, how you spend your time, your calendar, where you spend your days, your priority, your checkbook, what you do with your finances, and surrender them all to him. So as we close this morning, I'm just gonna, we're just gonna pray this morning. I'm gonna ask the Holy Spirit to just begin to come and and to do his work within each one of us. And what the Holy Spirit does so beautifully is, is he'll begin to highlight areas of our lives where maybe we need to kind of surrender that area or those particular issues to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It may be your finances. Some of you don't pray about what you're doing with your finances. You just do what you want to do with your finances. That is not Lordship. You're in control of that. Jesus wants to be in control of that. Some of you are spending your time in ways that are not profitable to the kingdom. Your time is his time. And he wants to use you to advance and build his kingdom. Is your time his time? So there are areas in our lives 
Or maybe this morning we just simply need to give that and say, I need to surrender this particular area of my life to your lordship. I've been doing it my way, and it's time for me now to begin to do it your way because he is Lord of all you are and all you have. But you've got to submit that to him. And so this morning, I'm just gonna ask the Holy Spirit to do what he does so beautifully, and that is he's just gonna come and he's gonna bring conviction, not condemnation. There will be no shame. There will be no guilt with this. He is simply just going to bring areas or issues to your life, and all he's saying is, will you surrender this to me? He's not gonna take it by force, but you're gonna give it to him by just surrendering and saying, yes, this area, this issue is yours. I've been doing it on my own. I'm making a mess of it. I don't know what I'm doing here, so I'm gonna give this to you. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe you've got a marriage. Maybe a relationship that, that it, it's, it's just, it's beyond broken and maybe it's because you've been doing relationships, you've been doing marriage your way, and God says, let's try it my way. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna heal that relationship. I'm gonna bring transformation, not in that other person that you think is the problem, I'm gonna bring transformation in you. I'm gonna bring change in you. I'm gonna bring healing in you. So whatever that is this morning, I'm just gonna ask the Holy Spirit, just highlight that. And then at some point in worship, the worship team wants to come back up. You're invited to just go and just consecrate that before the Lord in communion. As you kind of recognize that area, as you surrender that, as you ask God for help in surrendering that, just come up and take that bread and dip that in the juice and just use that as a way to consecrate your decision to surrender that area or those areas over the lordship of Jesus Christ. And then if you want prayer here this morning, again, there are believers, spirit-filled believers that will be here this morning. And again, this is where the gifts of the Holy Spirit can manifest this morning. There may be a prophetic word. There was prophetic singing this morning. Did you realize what Callie was doing there as uh, Jim prayed this morning was the prophetic. That's, that's the release of the prophetic this morning. God wants to release the prophetic here this morning, not just through song. God wants to release the prophetic through word. And, and a prophetic word is a word that will encourage you. It is a word that will build you up, not tear you down, not criticize you. A prophetic word is for edification, to build you up, to encourage you. So this morning, there may be prophetic words spoken here. There may be words of wisdom. Some of you are looking for direction this morning. Maybe you don't know where God wants you to go or what God wants you to do. There could come forth a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge for you uh, this morning. So again, this is where, again, the, the gifts of the Spirit can be manifested this morning. Amen? Let's pray. Father, again, I just ask right now by the power of the presence of your Holy Spirit, which is alive and well in this room. I just ask right now that you would just come. Open the eyes of our heart. Open the eyes of our understanding. And Father, we first and foremost just stand under you. 
We acknowledge and we proclaim your lordship over all creation. We proclaim your lordship over us, all we are and all we have. And yet, God, there's always that struggle between the flesh and the spirit. That part of us that wants to do what we want to do and that part of you that calls us to do what you want us to do. And God, there's just that ever-present battle. Lord, this morning we just pray that you would guide our hearts to just be obedient to what you're calling us to do, to surrender those areas of our lives that you're calling us to surrender in order that you might be Lord over all of us. So this morning, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would just illuminate, shine a light, bring it to our attention, what it is that you're asking us to give to you as Lord. And Father, we just thank you. The Lord, there's no condemnation, there's no guilt, there's no shame here. It delights your heart, Father, when we repent, when we just turn from our ways to your ways. It delights your heart. It's a beautiful thing to you. It's a worshipful thing to you, God, when we repent. Heaven rejoices. So God, there's no guilt, there's no shame, there's no condemnation here this morning. It's just an acknowledgement that you want to be Lord over all of us. And we want you to be Lord over all of us. So God, would you just come in, enter into that struggle. And God, just cause our hearts to just turn towards you in all of, our, in all of its fullness. And just to be obedient to you. And Father, we thank you for the body of Christ that was broken, the blood of Christ that was shed. That we might come and celebrate that you are the Lord of both the living and the dead. And we just thank you for all this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you're ready this morning, just come and just take the communion. Just dip that in the juice. Take the bread. Dip it in the juice. We partake by intinction. And again, if you want prayer here this morning, there will be believers here that would love to pray with you. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.